0: Well, I love I love worshiping the resurrected God in this resurrected or shall I say redeemed garage. I love worshiping with you guys. It's 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 there's just I don't know. I, I always envision the Lord smiling down upon us. Uh, so many nations from all over the world gathering here to uh Yeah, to love Him. And to hear what He has to say to us from the Word, right? So, you guys are a joy to to me and I love the privilege of being able to pastor this church and share this time each Sunday with you. So, as we talked about last week, uh, He really did it. Uh, Peter really walked on the water. If you're a Bible believer, you understand. Uh, If you're a skeptic, you don't understand. If you're a critic, you don't understand. We've actually believed the Bible is the Word of God. God has told us that a man walked on the water. Now, there were 10,000 reasons for him not to get out of the boat. 10,000 very good reasons to stay in the boat. Right? But he got out. Why did he get out? Anybody remember? Why did? There were two principal reasons. And the first led to the second. Um, anybody remember? Remember, he wanted to. He said, Lord Jesus, if that's You out there, bid me come. I don't care how impossible it is. Lord Jesus, if that's You, command me to come to You on the water. The, the, maybe the first and most important aspect of this is, is in the heart of Peter. Peter. Peter wanted it, right? Peter's like you. You want it too, right? You want to walk with Jesus. It doesn't matter how hard it looks or how impossible it is, right? You want to walk with Jesus more than anything else in your life. You want it more than anything else in your life, right? That's what it means to be a follower of Christ, to be a disciple, to be a Christian. All those things are synonymous so he wanted to. What was the second reason that he walked on the water? Or he got out of the boat? <laughs> Jesus said, okay, come on. Right? And we talked about that. Jesus is always going to say that to, his, to, to the man or woman who truly loves Him and truly wants Him above all things. Jesus is going to say, come. We talked about it. Don't pray that prayer. Bid me come, Lord, lest you mean it because... Jesus is not going to say, well, be more careful. He's not going to say, maybe you should be more prudent. He's not going to say that. He's going to say, come on out on the water with me. This is what Jesus always says. He says, come Peter, come. See how awesome I am. See who you're supposed to be. Beloved, we don't know who we are until we get out of the boat with Jesus. We just don't know. We think we know, but until we step out in faith, in intimacy with Christ we really don't know who we are and we really don't know how awesome he is the deeper you go in faith with Christ <laughs> yeah we say it all the time you get more of God the more faith you do the more of God you get it's just it's John 14:21 If you love Me, you'll keep My commandments and I'll disclose Myself to you." So when you're busy keeping the commandments of the Lord, when you're busy obeying the Lord, you will receive the disclosure of Jesus. Peter's life experience in this situation, it's a perfect metaphor for every true believer. You want to walk with Jesus too, right? Down at the very bottom and core of your heart is that desire. No other desire supersedes that desire. I want to walk with Jesus, even if it looks hard, even if it looks costly, even if it looks impossible. I want to walk. I want to walk with the Lord. It's Hebrews 11.6. We won't get to Hebrews 11.6 tonight. We might, we might look at that next time. To walk with Jesus will always take us beyond the common sense life that we've built for ourselves. So as I often say to you, you always have to be ready for Jesus to blow up your resume. Because this is part of what he does. He, he takes his people and he says, oh, okay, uh, you've, pretty got, you, you, you've got that, uh, that little task down well. Let's do something that re- is going to require a little more faith. God's always going to pull you out of your common sense life. He's going to bring you into a deeper walk with Him, a deeper faith. And it's Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, you not only believe that Jesus is your Savior and your Redeemer, you believe Jesus is the most valuable thing on the planet, or shall we say, in the cosmos. Matthew 13.44 I give everything to have Christ. Christ is my preeminent treasure. It's one of the points we've been making over and over again throughout this year thus far. Now, as you often hear me say, of course, we can be a church member. It takes no faith to be a church member. You can just show up for church at the appointed time and leave at the appointed time and, you know, come back next week if it's not too inconvenient. So we've talked about this a lot. Um, It doesn't take any faith to be a church member But you have to have faith to walk with Jesus. (laughs) You have to have it. You can't walk with Christ without faith. It's a supernatural proposition. It's always supernatural. Christianity is supernatural. Ultimately, God will call you to step into the impossible with Him. Now, I don't know in what context that will be in your life, but God's going to ask you to believe Him in that context might be a family crisis, a financial crisis, a career crisis. It doesn't really matter what it is. Um, God's going to expect you to believe Him in that context. I love how 19th century English minister Oswald Chambers says it. No? Okay. That's an inside joke. Uh, Oswald says, Faithfulness to Jesus means... I have to step out where I do not see anything. Faith is not intellectual understanding. Faith is a deliberate commitment to the person of Christ. Where I can see no human way. Are you debating whether to take a step of faith in Jesus or to wait until you can figure out how to do the thing yourself? And then he says, the six best words ever written by a human being other than the human beings God used to write Scripture. I love this. I love these six words. Some of you could probably guess what they are. If you've been around ICM very long, you've heard these words. Oswald says, Obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy. Doesn't that sound right to you? Doesn't that sound like how it ought to be between um, King Jesus and His disciple? Obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy, and we can. We can walk on the water. If He commands it, we can do it. Men can't walk on water unless God commands it, but if He commands it, we know we can do it, right? And anything else He calls us to. Because He's God. He is God. And as I prayed earlier, He is God. He is the only true God. Now, when I talk like this, when I relay these words of Oswald Chambers to you, uh, if, if you don't know the Lord, I know there's a, there's a natural recoil to that. There, you, you, you just, if, you're only, if you're merely a church member or a church goer, you naturally recoil at the prospect of obeying Jesus like that, with glad, reckless joy. You just don't really hear it. You don't understand it. It makes no sense. Now, if you're born again here tonight, you get it. You not only get it, you want it. You not only want it, you're pursuing it, right? I want to learn how to obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy, whatever it looks like. Whatever it looks like, it doesn't matter what it looks like. As long as I'm with Jesus, Lord Jesus, if that's you out there, bid me come. I think the Lord loves that prayer. (laughs) And He's always going to say, come on. You want me? You can have me. This is the invitation to every man, woman, boy and girl. If you want me, you can have me. It's the open invitation of God incarnate Listen, if He is who He says He is, and we keep, I keep hammering this, but if He is who He says He is, if He is who we say we believe He is, why would we ever hesitate? Why would we hesitate at all? Why wouldn't we be radically running after Christ? Why wouldn't our life look like the New Testament? Why wouldn't it? If we really believe that He is who He says he is um, American theologian, John Gershner, uh, 20th century theologian. He says this about faith. He says, faith is so vital, it's so crucial, that it has many counterfeits. Amen? Now, in these last days, aren't there myriad counterfeits in the world of the Christian faith? As we've talked about many, many times, many pseudo-churches, false Apostles or should we say false preachers, false teachers, they are everywhere. They are everywhere. You have to look hard in many places to find a place where the Bible is actually opened and taught as the Word of God. And not discounted or spun in some way. Sometimes it's hard to find a place like that. In many places that call themselves churches, you can kind of believe whatever you want. Well, I like this part of the God's Word, but I don't like this part. I throw this away, right? I edit God. I don't like what he says about homosexuality. I edit that, right? That's cross-cultural to to, to where the culture's going. I don't like that. I'm going to edit that. I don't like pick up your cross and follow me. I don't like that. I edit that. Right? I don't like sell alms and give to the poor. I don't like that. I edit that. Or sell your possession and give alms. Excuse me. That's a little touchy too. You know, in many places that are called Christian churches, you know, just... Live however you want. You can live like the world. It doesn't matter. It's okay. God's cool with it. God's cool with that. It's okay. It doesn't really matter. No worries if you look just like the world and you think just like the world and you talk just like the world and you prioritize just like the world and you save just like the world. Don't worry. It's okay. My point is... Finding a true biblical church, it's really, sadly, it's almost the exception anymore. I hate to say it that way, but that's almost where we are in these last days. And so God's talking about faith in Hebrews 11, right? He's going to talk about faith. And there's all these debates in the theological world, the Christian world, uh, from Catholicism and uh, Eastern Orthodox, uh, Protestantism, and some of the cults that surround uh, these organizations. There's all this talk about faith. And everybody seems to have a different view on faith. But in Hebrews 11, we get God's view, right? God speaks. God says, This is what I te- I'm telling you, this is what faith is. God says, This is what it really is. And if your preacher tells you something else, what do we deduce? False false pastor, false teacher, false preacher. So, it doesn't matter what any church says. All that matters is what God says. And if it's a true church, they will echo what God says. Every true church will echo what God says. It says, and he says it so clear in Hebrews 11. It cannot be misunderstood. He says it so clear. You can't, you can't in good conscience misunderstand it. You can ignore it, but you can't misunderstand it. First, God defines faith. Hebrews 11.1 1. He spends the rest of the chapter illustrating it. So you can't be confused, and I can't stand up here uh, as a religious professional and spin it with any intellectual integrity. Now, I can try to spin it, but if you actually read uh, the chapter, you realize if I'm spinning it or not. God is painstakingly making it clear what faith is and by default what it's not. And just in summary, faith is people who go out in the world and do it. It's not just something we have. It's something that we do. This is what God is clearly saying. In... Hebrews eleven. It's about real men, real women with real faith in a real God, making a real difference in the real world. I've quoted Francis Chan uh, about this many times, and some of you are familiar with this quote. I love it. He says, and I hope maybe some of you, maybe one or two of you, could finish it. There's something wrong when our lives what anybody make sense to unbelievers. Does your life make sense to an unbeliever? Is there any aspect of your life that makes an unbeliever scratch their head and say, "What? You do what? You believe what?" There's something. Let me say, I I, I can expound on Chan's uh, (laughs) quote. Everything's wrong if your life makes sense to an unbeliever. Everything's wrong. Your life should make no sense to the unbeliever. After you study Hebrews 11, you realize how true that is. (laughs) You think the unbelievers around Sarah and Abraham and Noah weren't scratching their head? You, you, You think? And the unbelievers around Moses and Rahab? Beloved, everything's wrong. Everything's wrong if our lives make sense to unbelievers, so I hope you have your Bible or your electronic device on, we're in Hebrews 11, we're just going to quickly take a look at the first few verses here, again, uh, as God begins the the chapter, He defines faith for us, now, as you know, I always teach out of the NAS, um, but I'm going to read the King James or New King James Version to you in Hebrews 11.1, 1, because I prefer the translation. I think it's the best translation. You may agree or disagree, but in my view, it is the best translation. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I want to qualify this. The kind of faith we're talking about here in Hebrews 11, it's the God-given kind. You know, it's not the kind that that I generate within myself. It's the God-given kind. It's the supernatural kind of faith that God gives. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. Some people seem to miss that verse. It's the gift of God. You believe Jesus is the Christ? That is a gift from God. That is a gift from So that's the kind of faith we're talking about. So how, how is faith substance? I went to the Greek. I'm not going to overwhelm you with the Greek. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know how to look at a lexicon. So you can do the same thing. I went and looked. This is what you find. It means a thing put under. The Greek word translated substance means a thing put under. It means substructure. It means foundation that which has foundation, that which is firm, that which is real, that which is actual, that which has substance. What I want to say to you, it's present tense substance for the God-promised future. Okay? What we're talking about here is a present tense substance for the God-promised future. So here's the word picture. When you look at a building... What do you not see, but you know is clearly evident? A foundation. If there's not a foundation, the building won't be there very long. You, you know it's self-evident. If you see a building, there, there is a foundation. And I believe that's exactly what God is saying to us here. He is the foundation to everything that you see. It's a very simple message. God is the foundation that is not seen, but He is the prerequisite to all that is seen. Biblical faith knows the foundation is there. It doesn't hope that it's there. We know it's there. We know that God is there. We see God's fingerprints all over the created order. We see the beauty, the power, the immensity, the complexity. He is the foundation of all that we see. He cannot not be there. God is conspicuous in the created order. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago as we talked about another subject. Romans 1.21 I love this verse. God says, My invisible attributes, My eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen and understood through what has been made, so that men are without excuse. I like the way C.S. Lewis talks about it. He says, everything out there is a message from God. Really, not only that, everything in here and in here I mean, if you simply look at the, the complexity and the genius of the human body, and no scientist can explain the mind or consciousness. Science will never explain consciousness. There's no good reason for consciousness, except that God willed it to be so. I, I, I just like how C.S. Lewis talks about it. These are messages. These are messages. There is a creator, and oh yeah, he's he is. He is awesome. So, the second phrase here in Hebrews 11:1: faith is the evidence of things not seen. How is faith evidence? Very much like how faith is substance. Again, we're talking about the gift of God kind of faith, the supernatural kind of faith. Verse 3, I think, is a good illustration that 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 helps us out here by faith we understand the worlds were created by God. So we don't again we don't think it, we don't postulate it, we know it and understand it through our God-given faith. Although it's obvious to the thinking man, we understand it was the cosmos was created by God and the word of God. Bible believers understand what Competent cosmologists understand there was a beginning, right? The, the universe is not eternal, which they believed for many, many years. In fact, when they, when they started coming up with the Big Bang Theory, most scientists hated it because of the implications. It implies a beginning. If there is a beginning, then there must be an adequate cause, right? If there's a beginning, there has to be an, adic- an adequate cause. Science fought the Big Bang for a long time. And then they had to surrender to the obvious. They had to surrender to it. If you know your history, you realize that the power structure within science did not care for... Even even some of the scientists that were discovering this, they didn't care for the implication. The implication is, (laughs) if there's a beginning, there's an adequate cause for the beginning. So, the believer, when he looks at the cosmos, he doesn't... He doesn't postulate the illogical, the irrational, or the impossible, you know, some random, spontaneous, macro Darwinian event. We we believe what God has said in Genesis 1 and 2. We believe it. He spoke it into existence. Psalm 19, 1 and 2. The heavens, someone tell me, the heavens are what? The heavens, Psalm 19, 1 and 2. The heavens are what? Declaring the glory of God. No man who's ever looked into the heavens will have an excuse before their Creator. The heavens are screaming, I am an awesome God. There must be an adequate cause for this, and I'm Him. Right? I'm Him. You see, when men postulate that it's just all a big chance, it was just all chance. And it was just like, well, as Hawking says, well, because there's gravity, the universe could create itself from nothing. You should go read John Lennox's book where Lennox just rips him apart. Yeah, granted, Hawking, a, he's a genius. But I love what Lennox says. It just goes to show you when men are biased, you know, he says nonsense is nonsense. It doesn't matter if Hawking says it or anyone else says it. If it's nonsense, it's nonsense. Right? We understand God spoke the cosmos effortlessly into existence. We understand. You have to be a blindly committed believer in your unbelief not to believe that God is there. In my view, it's a stunningly transparent attempt as we talked about a couple of weeks ago to suppress the truth of God. Romans 1.18 As As American theologian R.C. Sproul says, yeah, without God, the cosmos is like a rabbit out of a hat, but you have no rabbit and you have no hat and you have, you know the rest. No magician, right? So, yeah, it's (coughs) self-evident fiction. So born-again faith, supernatural faith, God-given faith. It's not a blind faith. You know, this is what the the hyper-atheists or the new atheists, they always accuse Christians of of having blind faith. We don't have blind faith. We have faith in the adequate cause. As we look at 400 plus billion galaxies and we look at the unquantifiable energy in the universe and we look at conscious, intelligent beings who create, we understand (laughs) <laughs> we understand that He is there. So biblical faith, the substance, are, uh, the substance and evidence, uh, we, we see that Jesus is the foundation of all things. Colossians 1.16 All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. And what I want to say to you, this is how I sum up the definition of faith from Hebrews 11.1. God is the substance of things hoped for. God is the evidence of things not seen. You can simply put God. You can take faith out, stick God's name in there all the way through the chapter and it works. God is the substance of things hoped for. God is the evidence of things not seen. Right? God is my present tense hope. God is my present tense evidence that I'll walk For a billion eternities in heaven and in the the new heaven and the new earth with God? You know, as some of you are painfully aware, some of you may have been involved in it or still involved in it or have come out of it. You know, faith has been abused, uh, redefined, uh, by the name it and claim it, uh, word of faith people. Um, they actually believe that faith is just some tool that it's just some trick. You can just speak. You can speak your own future into existence. That you have sovereign power with your words. They rob God of His sovereign power. They say that He's delegated it to His church, which you can't find that anywhere in the Bible. But they they talk about the faith they have is is a is a is a self-generated faith and it. And, and it It gives them the ability to so-called, you know, to to, to write their future, if they just have enough of it. If you just have enough faith, it'll all go well for you. And if it doesn't go well for you, obviously your faith is faulty. I mean, that's the whole—that's the whole system. It's it's self-evidently false. Our faith is not in our faith. (laughs) Our faith is in—tell me, I am. Our faith is in I am God. Listen, if if my faith, if I if I just had faith in my faith, I'd still be an accountant. I I, I promise. I you trust me on that. I'd still be sitting behind my desk at John Deere doing debits and credits. I'd never be preaching the gospel. I'd be way too intimidated. But because I know my God is God and He does whatever He pleases and He can turn accountants into preachers, I said yes when He called me. Not because I thought I was great, because I knew He was great. And that's what you see in Hebrews 11. That's what you see all the way through the chapter. It's not about them. It's about Him. Yes, it's true to say that Hebrews 11 is about men, you know, extraordinary men and women doing extraordinary things, but you have to say, the main character of Hebrews 11 is guess. Someone tell me, who's the main character? It's God. He's using His people to bring glory and honor to Himself and to bring joy to them. This is the business of God. This is what happens in real faith. God gets the glory. We get the joy. Amen? God gets the glory. And we get the joy. So, God is the substance of things hoped for. God is the evidence of things not seen. And as I talked to you last week, God is our license you know, Peter gets out of the boat because, because God is the substance of things hoped for. And Peter gets out of the boat because God is the evidence of things, not seeing Jesus was there. That's all Peter needed. I like how Richard Sib- Sibbs says that he's an English theologian, 17th century English theologian. <laughs> he just says it so simply, believers see invisible things. Don't you love it? Don't you see invisible things? If God says it's true, it's true. It doesn't matter if you see it or not. You know, what did Jesus tell one of the sisters in John 11? If you believe, you'll see. You know, we're a little different the Christian. We're a little odd. We're a little peculiar. We're different than the world. Believing is seeing for us. Have you ever wondered, okay, have you ever wondered why God even brings up the creation in in the faith chapter why does he Why does he bring it up? <laughs> well, first, as we've said already, the seen cosmos is adequate substance and evidence for the unseen foundation, who is Jesus Colossians one sixteen. But there's another reason I think God has interjected creation into. Into the, uh, into the faith chapter. I think God is saying to you and me, <laughs> the power that spoke 400 plus billion galaxies into existence, that power is available to everyone who believes. And as Oswald Chambers says, famous English minister, he says, God Will tax the furthest star to assist you in your pilgrimage of faith. Don't you love that? I love that imagery. The farthest star. God will tax the energy from the farthest star to ensure that He brings you through the thing He has for you. You know, God does this in a powerful way in the book of Job. Job had some issues with God. He wanted an audience with God. He wanted to talk about some things. He wanted to get some things cleared up. God showed up. <laughs> and God said, Oh, gird up your loins and answer me this. Where were you when I created the, the heavens and the earth, Job? Job, have you ever commanded the lightning, Job? Have you ever commanded the morning, Job? Have you commanded the constellations, Job? Oh, you want to talk to me, Job? you you got a problem with me. you got, you got a problem with the way I'm running your life. you got a problem with it. You want to talk to me about it, Job? You want to talk to infinite mind? You're questioning my ways, Job? And isn't it still going on in what is called the modern church? How many times have I told you God doesn't answer the why questions? He's probably never going to answer any of your why questions. It's never about why. It's always about who. It's about Him. It's about what He's doing in our life. But God showed up and He, t- he showed his, his brilliant, genius, omnipotent Creator to Job, And anybody remember what Job did? Anybody remember? You know what that means? It's on his face. This is what happens when any man in Scripture gets some, either a vision or glimpse of the living God. They're on their face faster than they, as fast as they can possibly get on their face, they get on their face. And then I listen to people in the church sometimes, and they're questioning God about the most inane things. You know? They stumble over the dinosaurs. What about the dinosaurs? What about them? That's a problem for you? You can't believe in God because of the dinosaurs? Really? Are you kidding me? Beloved, if you're hung up on some why question, I would just invite you to look at God. I would invite you to open the Bible, read it with an open heart and an open mind. Read it and let God reveal Himself to you. Verse 2, notice that faith, in faith the men of old gained approval. It's how it still is. Um, Nothing has changed. Uh, It's always been true. Old covenant, new covenant. Ultimately, men are saved by faith in God. We understand there's a lot of heresy in what is called the modern church. Some people... Teach that you must do works. Roman Catholicism is big on works. You must do works. You must add these works to the grace of God uh, for the grace to be sufficient or effective or however they say it. I'm not sure exactly. Don't spend a lot of time reading their stuff. But uh, God has made it clear it is by faith that men are and women are saved. Look at verse 4. It was by faith that Abel was considered righteous. It was, in verse 5, it was by faith that Enoch was pleasing to God. I've referenced it already. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It makes the point undeniably clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith that it, and that it is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works. So you won't boast. <laughs> we are so haughty and arrogant. I mean, the human race... It's almost like God had to do it this way or you would end up boasting about it. Or I would end up boasting about it, right? But God has saved men in such a way that nobody can boast. Nobody can boast. It's God's work. He did it. And because it's God's work, it can never be undone. Ever. This is the eternal security that the believer, the true believer... The true believer has. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's what God is saying to us at the beginning of Hebrews 11. These men and women in chapter 11, they're not saved by their deeds. They were saved by the the grace of God through faith. And their deeds just flow out of that. Amen? I know I bring that up to you a lot, but you need to understand it. There's so much false teaching, so much bad teaching, so much incomplete teaching in in what is called the modern church. These men and women aren't listed here because they were saved by their deeds. They're listed here because they believed God and their deeds give evidence of the fact that they believed God and they loved God. This is what real faith does. Hebrews 11 is what real faith does. It doesn't just come to church on Sunday and live like the world Monday through Saturday and then just come back on Sunday and that's not real faith. Real faith. Well, you guys know what James says, James 1 chapters 1 and 2. What? Real faith does the word, right? It does the word. Hearing without word doing is self-delusion, James 1:22. Talking without word doing is useless, James 2:20. A do-nothing faith is dead, James 2.17. And I, I bring it up a lot, but I love Eugene Peterson. It's the best paraphrase in the Message Bible, I believe. He's talking about here, James 2.17. He says, isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? Yes, it's obvious. You say, yourself, you say that you, you are a Christian? But you're not out in the world living like one. It's outrageous nonsense before God and before everybody else that you would call yourself a Christian. I'll read it to you again. God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. I think it's his best paraphrase. I absolutely love it. So for the born again believer, I like I like this. This was a a new thought that the Lord gave me this week. It's almost like you can't hold it in. Right. You can't hold it in. You know, the works spill out because you, you can't hold it in. It's too big. I, I was talking to Karen today at lunch. I said, how do unbelievers process getting old like we are? I said, you know, how do, how do unbelievers process this? How do they process this? You know, they've, they've experienced everything, that, every pleasure they could possibly experience on this, on this planet. They've experienced it. There, oh, there might be a f- few more high points, you know, but how do they process it? I don't know how they process it. How do you live with no transcendence? How do you live without it? Someone tell me. I can't figure out how anyone can live, how any human being can live without transcendence. Without God, God has put eternity in our hearts and we feel it, don't we? And without Him, there is constant dissatisfaction. Without Him... We can't hold it in. The the deeds spill out. We can't help ourselves. It's Peter on the water. It was impossible. It was impossible. But he wanted it. And I'm just going to ask you do you want it? Do you want to know God like that? Do you want to believe God like that? Do you want to obey God like that? Is it okay to get out of your comfort zone? Is it okay if God rips you out of your comfort zone? Is it okay if God blows up your resume? Are you ready for God to... You're supposed to be ready every day if God shows up and invites you into Hebrews 11. Tomorrow, you should be ready. You should be ready if God shows up and invites you into Hebrews 11 tomorrow. And what I mean by that, doing something that's not on your resume because He just might show up Tomorrow, are you ready? Will you go with Him? <laughs> will you believe He's an awesome God? Will you believe that the same God who spoke 400 plus billion galaxies into existence will, tap, will, will tax the energy of those galaxies to, and, and bring it to bear in your circumstance? Do you think He's a competent God? Do you think He's a trustworthy God? Man, there's a lot of application here for you and I. So, Again, God defines faith, Hebrews 11:1, and then He's going to illustrate it. the rest of the chapter. So I can't, again, as a religious professional, stand up here and mislead you. Unless you want to be mislead, you know that, uh, misled. A, a lot of people simply want it. They want some preacher who's going to tell them, you know, tickle their ears and tell them, "Hey, it's cool, don't worry. God is Santa Claus, so have fun with him, right? People just want, That's what a lot of people want to hear. They want that. They just want a little pat on the head. That's what they want. A little spiritual fix. That's what they want. But as I often say, that's just, that's just loss. If we've met Jesus, we can't live that small. We can't live for this stuff here. We can't live for this. We can enjoy it. The blessings of God, but we can't live for it. So Peter... He just wanted God. Jesus Christ is the substance of things hoped for. Jesus Christ is the evidence of things not seen. Peter didn't care if it was possible or not. He didn't care if it made sense or not. He didn't care if everyone in the boat thought he'd lost his mind. He didn't care. Is that how it is with you and Jesus? (laughs) I can tell you from personal experience. I've had people say things like that to me. You're going to do what? (laughs) What? You know, you should have this experience at least once or twice in your life. Maybe once or twice a week would be better. But Jesus was the foundation of Peter's outrageous notion that he could walk on the waves and he did it. I don't know where God is challenging you in your life. We all have different challenges in our life. But here's what I know. You just, you just need to pray that prayer. Bid me come, Lord. Bid me come. Bid me come. And Jesus will say, come. Come and see how awesome I am. Come and see who you're supposed to be. Come and see the good works I've prepared beforehand that you might walk in them. It's just, to me, it's so pregnant with anticipation and excitement to go with God. To just open-handedly say, Lord, it's, my life is Yours. I know I always end up back at this, this metaphor, but it's where I am with God right now. I keep saying, Lord, Karen and I are saying, Lord, it's Yours. Just do, do, do with us what You will. Because we know it's the best. It doesn't matter if it's hard. It's the best. It doesn't matter if it costs. It's the best. I don't understand why the Christian church doesn't understand it's the best. To obey Christ is the best. Everything else is a lie. Nothing else will fill your soul like He will fill your soul. So I invite you Come, come, come and enjoy Christ. Come and enjoy Christ. Maybe some of you here tonight need to go home and do some business with God. Maybe Jim, the pastor, needs to go home, do some business with God. Don't you love doing business with God? Isn't it fun? Because things change (laughs) in the most amazing way. Jesus is the substance of things hoped for. Jesus is the evidence of things not seen. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we love You. Thank You for this time. Thank You for this Word. Lord, our, our assurance and our conviction, it's You. Help us, Lord, to lay hold of the eternal life that You've given us. Help us, Lord. Help us be your people. We give all glory and honor to the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing, shall we?